Hello, you're listening to Uncommon Sense, and I'm Doug Morgan. Uh, here we talk about things like Christianity and politics, you know, many of those third rail things that you're not supposed to talk about. Yes, I'm wonderful at parties. <laughs> As you know, you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics with other people, and I tend to do that quite often and <laughs> have no problem doing that, and, uh, and we're doing that here on this podcast Um, You know, we are on part two of a series called Christians versus Government Authority. And we got into the last podcast of how the Bible calls us to respect a system of government, but it doesn't necessarily call us to blindly obey that government. And and, and, and we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper here today. Because if you truly believe that the Bible is calling us to just simply blindly obey whatever a government official says, no matter who they are, um, to literally just go about our day only thinking on spiritual things and, and what, what God has, has us do and say, and not worry about anything governmental whatsoever or any, anything about our system, If that's truly the way that you think, then it poses some interesting questions. Because was the Revolutionary War a sin? Think about this for a second. There was a system of government here in the United States. We were ruled by another country, England, and there was a ruler at that time. His name was King George III. And if we are to obey every governmental official, then why was it okay for our founding fathers to disobey King George III? You see, the Bible's the Bible, and it is relevant to everyone around the world. So if that's the case, how was it okay for our founding fathers to basically say to King George III, we're not going to do what you want. We are going to form our own country. We're going to go against the laws of what you have said, and we're going to do our own thing. You see, our founding fathers, they they did give up a lot in order to do this. Uh, if you've ever heard of Paul Harvey, uh, Paul Harvey does a... Um, a commentary called Our Lives, Our Fortunes, and Our Sacred Honor, where he literally goes back and he looks at the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the and the 56 individuals that signed that document. And of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to to Charleston sacked and looted, occupied by the enemy or burned, and two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships and from its more merciful bullets, is the way that Paul Harvey puts it. You see, there was some real sacrifice that was done in the name of the Revolutionary War. And and was that all just done because they were unbiblical in what they were doing? Was, uh, was their sacrifice really something that, that uh, made it so that our, 
Our country was built on a foundation that was not biblical. You see, the Bible talks about having respect for the office and maintaining law and order. So was this uh, revolutionary war a sin? You know, to what extent can Christians work against an evil government is the question that we need to consider. Many say that we are to obey the the government until it comes against a a clear biblical tenet. Um, You know, I I have heard many a, a person say that of course, we, we, uh, we have to come against abortion. Uh, we, we, draw the, we draw the line at abortion. But where do we draw the line? Is the line abortion? Is it, is it something that's, that's obviously so very clear, clearly against the Bible? But, but is the line really drawn somewhere else? Is freedom a biblical tenant? Is making disciples around the world a biblical tenant? Is gathering together to worship a biblical tenant? You see, just like our founding fathers did years ago, we we are to stand up for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which of course just means freedom. That's what we're to stand up for. The Bible has us go beyond that and, and to come up against injustice, evil, and harmful leaders, and, and, and even their policies. You see, the Bible, I think, is clear when it comes to these things. We are to stand for the right. We are to stand for truth. We are to stand for wisdom. We, we have uh, not learned from, from our past, I don't think. You know, have, have we not learned as a church from history and how harmful incrementalism is? You see, incrementalism, let's talk about that for a second. Incrementalism is just little bits over and over and over and over and over until suddenly we've gone too far. Sin can be one of those things. Sin uh, uses incrementalism quite often. We, we do something just little. It's not, not really very big. It's not something that, that to get all riled up over and, and, uh, and you know, it's never going to happen again, whatever the case may be. And then we do something else that just has to add a little bit to that. You know, maybe it's just a little, a little white lie, let's say. Nothing that's going to harm anybody. Nobody, nobody's even going to know, really. But then, you know, I, I have to tell maybe another one just to make sure that nobody knew that the first one was, you know, a white lie. And, and then, you know, maybe there's, there, there's a, just a full-blown lie after that because, you know, you, you have to cover that up. And, and then, you know, if, if suddenly incrementalism is starting to take over and it's starting to snowball on me. And incrementalism happens in a lot of different areas of our lives. We see it in our society. Incrementalism is kind of like that frog that everybody's heard. And, and I've been told, <laughs> I've been told, I don't know, I haven't looked into this, but I've been told that it's not true that if you put a, a frog in a, in a pot of boiling water and he jumps out, but if you put him in, in cold water and then just turn it up one degree by one degree by one degree, then he doesn't jump out. I have I don't know. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's it, but it's a good example of what we're talking about when it comes to incrementalism. If you just simply turn it up slowly, if you if you change things really slow, then suddenly you're going to get things done. Maybe a better example of incrementalism. I heard once as a, as a pastor said that that he uh, he wanted to move the piano from one side of the church to the other, the one side of the stage to the other, but. When he tried to do that, 
there was a, a lot of uproar. And boy, pastor, that's not the way that we do things here. That is not, we, we've always had it over there. You know, uh, sister so-and-so piano player has, has always been there. She likes it there. The light is good, da 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 and all this kind of stuff. And so what he started to do was he started to, to move the piano one inch at a time. And every Sunday, the piano would kind of move a little bit further and a little bit further. And nobody really noticed until one day it was completely on the other side of the stage. And, you know, he sat back and smiled and he, when he thought about this because incrementally he was able to make some change palatable to that congregation. Whereas if he had just flat out done it, they would have been up in arms. But over time, little by little, nobody really noticed, nobody really cared, if, even if they did notice, over time, it began moving until it was finally accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. That's incrementalism. And see, incrementalism is harmful. It is, some, it is something that can be used for bad as well as good. Many people today wonder how the church was so silent when communist Russia or Nazi Germany were killing millions of people and destroying human rights and, and banning the gathering of Christians to worship. Many ask, how in the world, I mean, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about why the church never did anything in these instances? Where, where was the church standing up for human rights? Where was the church standing up for life? And when you take a look at history, you see that, you know, there were some that did. There were some that, that called things out. But for the most part, incrementalism took over. And little by little by little by little, things changed. Until suddenly, and, and, and we can even see this in our own society, little by little by little by little, things change. And then all of a sudden, wham, things change majorly. And we say, wow, how could that have happened? Well, it really didn't happen overnight. It happened underneath. It happened like a, like a mudslide often happens. We see that water gets, gets underneath a, a particular hillside and it starts to deteriorate and erode away, erode away the, the, the dirt underneath. And then suddenly the whole side of the hill comes down. And you say, wow, how could that have happened? Well, it didn't happen overnight. It happened little by little by little, but then all of a sudden something triggered it and down it came. And that's, that's what we see oftentimes throughout history when it comes to different societies. We see incrementalism happen. And, and, and as a church, we need to understand exactly how that happens and why that happens. When the church removes itself from an area of society, then there is a vacuum that's created. We understand this. We understand that, that when the church teaches that government is not a place for Christians, then, then a void is formed and, and filled with non-Christians that, of course, have opposing worldviews from ours. You see, we take ourselves out as a church of areas of our society, then who is there to provide godly wisdom? When a church removes itself from a school system, let's say, a void is created and filled with non-Christians that have an opposing worldview. How can 
how can a, a system or even, even a governmental system, let's say, how can it have godly leaders when the church has removed itself from that arena? And oftentimes we, we remove ourselves from these arenas in the name of the Bible. And we say, oh, well, you know, the Bible says that, you know, give to Caesars what is Caesar. And we do not stand up for what is right and understand that that's not what the Bible's saying there. Who was the last person in your church to run for any elected position? Can you think about it? Can you think of one? Can you think of someone, even within your circle of friends, that has run for an elected position? You know, who was the last Christian you know that spent any considerable amount of time or money making your, your local school system better or more accountable? You see, we have removed ourselves as a church from so many different areas of society. And then we wonder, why is there such corruption in these areas? As a church, we've removed ourselves and created this void in areas of our society because, you know what, it's just, it's, it's a corrupt area and it's something that, you know, as Christians, we shouldn't be a part of. But is that what the Bible says? The Bible is not saying that we need to remove ourselves from that. The Bible is not saying that, that we should just be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. What it's saying is that we should not be creating this void, that we should be working until the day that he comes back. This is what the Bible is telling us. And we're going to get into this a little bit farther and a little bit deeper in part three. But I will tell you now that I think that we have a responsibility as Christians to be able to insert ourselves into areas of this world and in our society and to maintain a level of leadership, to maintain a level of order and decency and right. And, and that wisdom so oftentimes simply comes from the Lord. I have been in positions of both leadership when it comes to uh, political leadership, and I've been in positions of leadership when it comes to church leadership. And I have seen both sides. And so oftentimes, people think it can't, it, it, it can't merge. We, we, can't, we can't have people, uh, we can't have Christians in, in political er arenas, and we can't have uh, po political people in church areas. But why not? God has set up the system of government. God set up this system and we are to maintain it, and we are to, to make sure that those leaders are godly leaders making wise decisions. So, you, uh, you, you may disagree with me, you may agree with me, you may have questions even about uh, what I've been talking about so far. Uh, I would love to hear your comments, would love to hear your questions. Uh, if you have those and you would like to forward those on to me, that email address is foruncommonsense at gmail.com. That's for, F-O-R, uncommonsense at gmail.com. I personally read everyone and respond to everyone. And, uh, and, and even uh, if you have a question, we, it might even make it on a future podcast. Uh, we, we look forward to those and, and really enjoy seeing the numbers of people that are listening to this podcast 
and hopefully getting something out of it. We're getting some great feedback. I really appreciate all of you here. And we will get into part three of this series on Christians and government authority coming up here in the next couple of days. Thank you for listening.